This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. The criminal code includes a charge called voyeurism. Is it a challenge to enforce this law in a, in a world where everybody's got cameras and everybody's taking pictures everywhere? Do we have a reasonable expectation of privacy? Well, the Supreme Court today has laid down some important parameters. And, and this is a case that the specifics of this case would seem like a pretty obvious violation of the law. An Ontario high school teacher had been acquitted of voyeurism today, though. The Supreme Court found him guilty. More from Canadian press reporter Christy Kirka. In a ruling today, the high court says the teenage students were entitled to a reasonable expectation they would not be secretly recorded by their instructor. Teacher Ryan Jarvis was charged with voyeurism after discovery of more than two dozen videos on his pen. During 2010 and 2011, Jarvis made the recordings in different locations around the school, including in hallways, classrooms, the cafeteria, staff offices, and outside the building. Christy Kirk of the Canadian Press, Ottawa. Right, so it sounds like creepy behavior. But there are some important legal parameters to lay down about what constitutes voyeurism, what constitutes a reasonable expectation of privacy. Joining us to talk about the significance of the ruling and whether we have more clarity as to what constitutes voyeurism. Very pleased to welcome to the program uh, Stephen Penny. He's a law professor at the University of Alberta, co-author of Criminal Procedure in Canada. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome to the program. No problem, Rob. Is this a significant ruling in the sense that we have a better understanding of what's voyeurism? Absolutely. So this is a relatively new addition to the criminal code, and there was some uncertainty uh, as exhibited in the uh, the earlier decisions in this very case about what it encompassed. And so now we have a much firmer notion of what a reasonable expectation of privacy means in the context of this specific offense. Right, because privacy is a, a tricky concept these days, and you know the additional challenge with voyeurism seems to be proving that there's a, a, a sexual intent. Is that is that a, a required component of of this kind of a charge? Uh, it was in this case. So there are a number of different ways that this offense can be committed, uh, but in this particular instance, the the crown did have to prove that the recordings and observations were made for a sexual purpose. And there was no debate about that at the the Court of Appeal or at the Supreme Court of Canada, although the trial judge had mysteriously acquitted the accused on the basis that there wasn't enough proof that this was being done for a sexual purpose. But the appeal courts, you know, they they certainly decided very definitively that this was being done for a sexual purpose. What was really at issue at the Supreme Court was whether or not the students who were recorded had a reasonable expectation of privacy, even though this was being done covertly, obviously focused on breasts and, and uh, you know, sort of intimate body parts, but it was done in the context of the classroom and hallways and common areas in the school where, you know, they were fully clothed and they were observable by others. And so on that basis, 
the two out of the three judges at the Ontario Court of Appeal held that they couldn't interpret the section to in a way that would say that you had a reasonable expectation of privacy in those circumstances. Right. And as much as, as the teacher seems like a creep, the, the, I think there are some legitimate issues there. I mean, you know, students, they, they all carry phones. It's probably pretty commonplace to have, you know, some students posing for a picture in front of their locker. Other students who happen to be walking by, they're not conceding to be photographed. But at the same time, that's not a violation of their privacy. That's right. And so that's why this was, at some level, a fairly tricky case where both sides had, had reasonable arguments. Uh, but ultimately, you know, the Supreme Court of Canada was unanimous in holding that in the particular context of what this teacher did, the kinds of recordings that he made uh, of, you know, vulnerable minors uh, from very close-up angles, often looking downwards towards female students and their sort of cleavage area, uh, that this really did sort of violate their um, sexual integrity, their bodily integrity, and it, it provided, you know, permanent images that potentially could be disseminated in a way that, you know, no, you know, no person would expect that that would be happening within what's supposed to be a safe environment, uh, namely a school. Yeah, and we had a case in Calgary a couple of years ago, and, and someone who was arrested and charged with voyeurism uh, was, was taking photos uh, of women unbeknownst to them on, uh, you know, in, in public on busy streets, but really same sort of thing, really zooming in on, on their chest areas or their rear ends and posting those photos on Twitter and commenting on, on their attractiveness. And, and that's where police said a line got crossed. I mean, you could take a photo of people on a busy street, put it on your social media, say, wow, look at how busy it is on, on the street today. That, that's allowable, but it, it does cross a line, obviously. Yes, and I think, you know, people sometimes get frustrated with these decisions about what is a reasonable expectation of privacy in these sort of close-to-the-line cases, but it's difficult to come up with any other approach other than to look at all of the surrounding circumstances and then make kind of a pragmatic, commonsensical judgment call as to whether or not, you know, a reasonable person in those situations would feel that this was a very serious intrusion onto their privacy. So when you combine all the factors, you know, the, the nature of the images, the school environment, the vulnerability of, of minors, the trust relationship that you have with a, an authority figure like a, like a teacher, all those things combined with many other factors lead to the conclusion I think most people would probably agree with, which is this is a pretty substantial invasion of privacy and would cause very significant and potentially lasting psychological harm to the young women who were subjected to this. And I think the court was, you know, quite correct to hold that this is something that's deserving of criminal conduct. And more importantly, it's something that fits within the sort of open-ended, ambiguous language of the statutory provision. Right. But that's not to say that voyeurism is, is a safeguard for our privacy. I mean, it's still inherently a, a, a sexual crime, isn't it? It is. And in this context, it was clear that this was being done for a sexual purpose. And there is a, you know, the privacy aspect to this offense. And I think there's a sexual integrity aspect to this offense as well. And so it's the combination of those two broader social concerns that led Parliament to enact this provision in the first place, and that certainly helped guide the Supreme Court's interpretation and analysis of the provision leading to the result that we saw today. What's interesting, though, is that the, the, the charge, as I understand it, isn't um, predicated on there being a recording, like a, photo, a photograph or a video, that, that even you know, if this teacher had just been leering at his students, that, that could constitute voyeurism, couldn't it? It could, but once again, the fact that it was recorded, I think, heightened the, the intrusiveness of the invasion. So, 
you know, you can have a conviction for, for voyeurism without a recording, certainly, but especially in circumstances where the activities occur in a public place, where, you know, what is being observed and recorded is, at least in some sense, visible to others, that it's going to perhaps require recording in order for the, you know, the reasonable expectation of privacy to be breached. I wouldn't say that that's always going to be the case. You know, these situations are variable, but I think the fact that these images and videos were recorded was probably critical to a finding that there was a reasonable expectation of privacy in the context of, you know, a classroom or other public space. And, and the law is not so broad that someone would accidentally run afoul of it. No, I don't think so. Certainly in this case, the Crown was required to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the observation was being done for a sexual purpose. So even if there's some reasonable doubt about that question, then there has to be an acquittal. So, you know, that's a fairly high standard of a sexual purpose on that burden, high burden of proof. And so I think that alleviates, you know, the concern that someone might, you know, falsely be accused of an offense like this and potentially convicted. Right, because people are constantly taking photos in, in public. I mean, I think of a situation where people are at a beach and photos are being taken at a beach and someone, you know, who's, who's in a, a bathing suit to begin with and maybe they're caught bending over or, or something that if, if someone like that is caught in a, a photograph inadvertently... It, it, it's not automatically going to be viewed as, as criminal voyeurism. That's correct, absolutely. And the court was sensitive to that concern. It mentioned the fact that, you know, increasingly we have cameras recording still and video uh, photography, and people are incidentally going to be captured, potentially even in, you know, positions where you might say that there's a, you know, a sexual aspect or a sexualized aspect to the photo. But in the absence of, you know, some other evidence that this was being done for a sexual purpose or this was done in an exceptionally intrusive fashion, then you're not going to be able to get a conviction. Very interesting. Well, appreciate the insight. Stephen Penny, thank you so much for joining us here this afternoon. You're very welcome. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.